Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's not bury the lead. Let's talk about the most important thing that's going on today. No, it's not the debate. No, it's not the playoffs starting tomorrow. It's none of that. You know what it is, Melissa? Uh, it's National Coffee Day. It's not National. Co- well, it might be. That's not it. No, no. This is my anniversary. Oh, so wait, we, how a happy anniversary. Absolutely. So we start off the program, lest I forget. I would never forget that. But lest I forget, it's happy anniversary day. to my lovely. Well, we were just talking this morning, and it's been, it's just, it's it's just amazing how time flies. It's I mean, went past. Um, right. For, for us, it's, I mean, we were married for three years, and I just, I mean, it, it's really like, Wow. I mean, it's just so much happens in three years and stuff. So, wow. You know, it's funny because I I think back, I've been here a little over three years, and I remember you were getting married right when I was getting hired here at WTMJ. So, there you go. There there you go. So, and of course, our producer grew. You know, he just just got married, married. and and we'll be talking to you in three years, and you'll be going, wow, it just just kind of absolutely (laughs) flew by. And and I I understand there's people, I was with some folks, my, my friend Betsy and friends Betsy and Gary over the weekend. They've been married 66 years. 66 Whoa, years. That's rare. Th- that That's so rare these days. Yeah, absolutely. Such a blessing, though. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, okay, happy happy anniversary, Fran, and um, uh, I, I certainly appreciate it, and it's um, it's just, it's been a wonderful life, and thank you for that. All right, let us get started. The numbers are out, and they are they are not good. Matter of fact, there's a new study out from from Harvard a couple days ago saying that Wisconsin, when it comes to the spread of COVID-19, Wisconsin is one of the four worst states in in the country. And if you're looking at the numbers, there's just no question about it. The numbers involving, you know, Wisconsin are are just absolutely ugly. Um, There have been almost 10,500 new COVID cases in the last week in Wisconsin over 100,000 cases generally. Wisconsin currently has about the second worst daily new case rate in the country. So the numbers are are spiking. Now, again, the, the good news about this, if you want to try to find a silver lining, is that the, the death rate has not been spiking in accordance and anywhere near in percentage to the number of people who are getting sick. But what they are starting to see is that the number of hospitalizations are, in fact, finally going up. For the longest time, the number of hospitalizations have not increased with regard in anything close to the percentage of the number of new COVID cases. Um, part of that is because I think doctors might treat the cases differently. Secondly, it's because, as a general rule, that the spike in the beginning was informed by younger people like the 18 to 29 year old age group that was getting it but now what they're starting to see is 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 that starting to spread across different age groups it's still primarily driven by the 18 to 29 year olds but it's starting to spread into other groups presumably because i don't know some of the younger people are getting sick and then they're bringing it back and they're spreading it to older people so we're, the the numbers are going up now at the same time the numbers are going up Keep in mind, we do have a, a mask mandate that has been in effect for, you know, going on two months. And we're going to talk about a legal challenge to that a little bit later on. But we, we've, we, we have spent the last six months educating people on the whole question of social distancing 
educating people on the hand washing and, and all that type of stuff. And we have a mask mandate in place that on a statewide level says that whenever you're inside, unless you're actively eating or drinking, you're supposed to be wearing a mask. You have a number of area businesses, businesses um, who have mask mandates, regardless of whether the state mandate is in effect. And then in certain communities, for example, the city of Milwaukee, you have independent mask mandates. And some of those mask mandates are much stricter than the um, state mask mandate. For example, in Milwaukee, if you are outside, you're supposed to be wearing a mask unless you're not going to come into contact with people within six feet. All right. Clearly, the mask mandates are not working. And and that that's just, you know, you, you can't, I, I don't think you can dispute that. Now, as we've talked about on this program before, there, there might be a couple reasons for it. Some people might think it really doesn't make that much difference. The mask mandate doesn't work as a general rule. All right. Other people think, well, the mask mandate would work, but people aren't following it. People are ignoring the rules. And as a result, um, what, what happens is you have this spread regardless. And other people say, well, the mask mandates are unenforceable. But, but whatever you want to look at it, the, the reality is the way the mask mandate right now is being implemented, it's not working. So that the numbers are, in fact, going up. Now, what Harvard says in their study is that Wisconsin is one of, like I say, four states that should immediately consider going back into a full-blown lockdown like we did in March. Now, let me be real clear. I, I think that I do not believe the governor legally has the ability to lock down the, the state again. But, you know, go back to where we were in March where we essentially say all businesses except a handful of, quote, unquote, essential businesses are, are closed down. People are, are not supposed to go into work anymore. The businesses are going to be closed. So in many cases, they have nowhere to go. Bars and restaurants closed, period. Harvard says what we need to do is go back into a lockdown to get control of the virus. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and for the purpose of this discussion, I, I don't want to have the legal debate about whether or not the governor has the authority to roll us back to like late March and, and early April. Let, let's put that question aside. Given the fact that we have mask mandates, given the fact that we've educated the heck out of people with regard to how to deal with COVID, and yet it's not working. And I guess if you want to dispute my premise that it's not working, that that's fine. But I just look at these raw numbers and say it's what we're doing now doesn't seem to me to be working. My question is, are we at a point where we need to go back and lock down the state like we did in March? I don't think people are there. I don't think people would put up with it. But all right, the numbers were better in March and April than they are now. And by the way, we're getting ready to go back inside because you're not going to be able to be outside that much longer. And you've got the flu seasons at starting. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Time to go back and lock down the state. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. The, the, the numbers of COVID-19 in the state of Wisconsin are, are skyrocketing. 
And while the number of deaths aren't increasing in any degree of proportionality, the number of hospitalizations are starting to inch up. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not close to overwhelming the hospital system at this point in time, but we're definitely moving in the wrong direction. Winter is coming on, which means people are going back inside. You've got the flu season that's coming up. And, and we've had a mask mandate in place for the last couple months. I think it's fair to say that that mask mandate, for whatever reason, isn't working. So do we have to go back to a lockdown? Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah. Um, in County, there's a safety that won't enforce it. You're allowing decisions. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. Your cell phone was, was your cell phone was cutting up. I apologize. Uh, Amy and Franklin. Amy, you're on WTMJ. Go ahead. Hi, Amy. Hi, hi, thank you. Uh, sure. I don't think a full lockdown is necessary, but I think we're becoming too lax with precautions, and we need to be as strict as we were back in July. Um, and how would you go about doing that? How would you go about doing that? I would say that all the restaurants and uh, bars and outside venues that had to put those practices in place and submit them to their health department, I think they've still become too lax with the concert that happened in Waukesha. No outdoor live music, if you're not going to maintain six feet apart, should be allowed. Mm-hmm. Would you leave I the, think- how about the indoor spaces? I mean, I, I was, I mean, restaurants are, are opening up now, and so you have people that are sitting in restaurants without masks. Would you let them stay open? Yes, but only at their table should they be with their household and not wearing a mask, and the workers should be. And if you have to wait to be seated, you should be outside. Okay. And maybe with technology, we could do a text system, you know, where you text in, then once your table's ready, they text you, then you walk in to limit people waiting and congregating. Would you close businesses again? No, I would not. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 855-616-1620. Ray in Illinois. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Um, um, thank you. I'm a lucky guy. Are- you sure sounds like it. Hey, listen, um, no, absolutely not to a full lockdown. I don't think we can, can, can keep locking down and devastating businesses like that, like we did back in March. Um, I think what needs to happen is that um, we need to, um, you know, we've, we've, we've educated. People know what they need to do. People just need to be doing it. And um, here in Illinois, we had a big spike in cases. We had spikes in cases. We're going to have spikes because um, when you lock down, yeah, you can be. That's going to stop right. it for a while, but then you got to open up sometime, and the cases are going to spike. We've had spikes in Illinois; they go up and they come back down. Um, maybe in some small areas, you may need to take some stricter measures you know, for a period of time, but uh, definitely not a full-blown lockdown. That is absolutely the wrong thing to do. We've yeah. got to live with COVID, as you often say. Yeah, Ray, I, and I, I guess see, I, I'm I'm with you on this. I, I think you you first of all. We have to recognize that it's not a it's not a choice between the economy and lives. You have to have this balancing that is out there. The economic devastation caused by the mass lockdown, I think, is going to take us years, just absolutely years to to deal with. So you have to have this balancing. I also think the mass lockdown that we went through, I think if we've learned nothing, we we have to realize it didn't make any sense to, uh, again, just say, okay, we're going to allow the Walmart store to stay open. 
open, but we're going to close the, the small family-run jewelry store. So you can have hundreds of people piling into the Walmart, but you know the, the jewelry store that might never have more than four or five people in it, that's going to be closed. That we, we cannot do. In addition, what you're seeing is that, that people want to go out to bars and, and restaurants. They want to socialize. We, we are a, a social people. So to some extent, you're, you're going to have to figure out, we're all going to have to figure out how to live with this over the course of the next several months. Now, I, I do think one of the things that it's fair to look at is the large gatherings, which my guess is that if you look at the numbers, that's where you're going to find a lot of the spread. It's going to be the college kids that go to the 200-person kegger. It's going to be the the folks that, that pile into the huge outdoor event where there's four or 500 people. Now, outdoor events, the spread of COVID, a lot less likely to occur than, than indoor events. If you're going to do anything, what I think you have to start with is, again, maybe looking at some of these capacity limits, saying, all right, we're, we're not going to allow you to have 250 people piled in on top of, of one another. Will that stop it? No. The truth of the matter is, I don't think there's anything that you can do to absolutely guarantee that this is going to stop. It's one of the reasons, as Ray correctly says, I, I often argue that, that we're going to have to figure out how to live with COVID-19 until you get a vaccine. And then once you even get a vaccine, since not everybody is going to be vaccinated, since there's going to be people that make the choices not to do it, what we have to do is concentrate our efforts on trying to protect those that are our most vulnerable. Because the reality is, and I understand that some people don't want to hear this, the reality is that most people, not all, most people who come down with COVID, you're going to get sick. Some people get very sick. A lot of people just get a little bit sick, and then people end up getting over it. And I'm not trying to minimize it, but it is a fact of of life. And I just don't see closing down the state. I mean, you just look at you know people going out and about now. We, we as a collectively, we as as citizens have decided that that is not a reasonable alternative. Now, the question of masks which I think is sort of an open question, the question of masks becoming how vigorously do you want to enforce it? Look, I think it's smart to wear masks indoors. I I get it. And I think, I mean, I would be wearing a mask indoors in places when I go into stores, regardless of whether there was a state mask mandate or whether Milwaukee County had a mask mandate. I just think that that's the smart sort of thing. The problem, though, with that is, again, a question of enforcement. My God, we're on a point of record homicides in the city of Milwaukee. You're going to have to go back to 1990 to find that. We do not have enough law enforcement people to go around and be the mask police. So the problem becomes... If people just decide that they are not going to do it or they refuse to do it for whatever reasons, there are limitations to this. Do I think that we can close down the state again? The answer is no. I just don't think people will put up with it. I think the economic devastation that will cause would be absolutely overwhelming. The psychological devastation would be absolutely overwhelming. And again, it's frustrating, but I think COVID is one of these things that we have to start to live with, and it's why more and more people just need to be smarter about how they are approaching things. Can we shut down the state again? I just don't see it. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I think outside is different than inside. But... Some people disagree when it comes to COVID-19. Over the weekend, there was a bar in Heartland 
So that would be Waukesha County, which had a, a big outdoor event. And they got a permit, and they had beer tents, and they had a, a band. And they had several hundred people that showed up. And now this is getting a lot of attention out in Heartland. Um, it's a big party. There's the band because there's pictures showing all sorts of people. Now they are outside. It's a street concert. People are outside. They are dancing in front of the stage. People, as a general rule, aren't wearing masks. So some are. But they are They are outside. And I think even the most, even the, the biggest mask adherent, the person that we, we wear, wear, wear masks, would acknowledge that there is a difference between inside and outside. That's why, as we were told, when we had the protests that, that happened, well, th- these weren't COVID spreaders, even though you had all sorts of people that were together and ch- chanting and singing, etc., because it, it was outside. And, and while it can spread outside, it is much less likely to spread outside than large groups that, that are together you know, inside. Now, over the course of, of this summer, I, I admit I, I have eaten at restaurants quite a bit, but we eat outside. You know, we, we've got a list of restaurants we go to, and we, we are almost always on the patio. I think I can count on certainly one hand and maybe just a couple fingers the number of times that I've actually eaten inside a restaurant over the course of the last several months. I, I don't know what we're going to do as it gets a little bit colder, but we have been outside because, as a general rule, Outside does not spread like inside does. On top of all that, you know, when you go out, you're sitting on a patio having dinner, you're at a table, you're you're not shoulder to shoulder with, you know, hundreds of other people. But over the weekend out in Heartland, you have this event, you have the number of people that are showing up, they're outside, they're dancing, they're, they're partying, and it has become controversial. Because some people out in Heartland, well, for example, here's the story as reported on Fox 6. Three Heartland residents contacted Fox News questioning whether this event held by this bar out in Heartland should have even happened this weekend. Fox 6 looked into it, found it's not the first concert the bar has hosted during the course of the pandemic. So they get a permit. They have an outdoor event. I will confess last week. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of Oktoberfest, and there I've been to a couple different Oktoberfest events. I went to the one that's conducted in Glendale behind the old Bavarian Inn at what they call it, Old Heidelberg Park or something. And, you know, we, we sat and watched a, a, an outdoor performer play the group I was with. We were at a picnic table. We were separated by a number of feet from other picnic tables. But but we did, sitting outside, we did watch the live music and we did participate in the event. And I would say, while there weren't people that were dancing shoulder to shoulder or anything, you know, there, there were several hundred people that were there spread out over the, this huge property. But there were several hundred people there. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. In the era of COVID-19, is it time to shut down outdoor events? People didn't like the fact that there was beer and there was a band and there were people dancing in the outdoor area. Is outdoors different than indoors? And moving forward until we get through this pandemic, should we allow outdoor service? Should we allow large groups of people to gather outside? Or is that just too risky? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take on this, 
look, I, I think people need to be smart uh, about this. And, and that's why, you know, if you're looking at being shoulder to shoulder with hundreds of people or thousands of people, that's that is just not a smart move. On the other hand, depending on how big the space is and how much room there is between people, I, I think you can do this in a safe fashion. To me, the answer isn't we're not going to allow outdoor events to go on. The answer is we're going to have to maintain perhaps some attendance limits to make sure that you know you don't have too many people in too small an area. But I find outdoor events to be different than inside events. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's some text. Jeff, outside is different, and there is nothing wrong with having outdoor events. All right, so the question is, even if there's outdoor events and you've got hundreds of people packed together shoulder to shoulder, Jeff, since UV light essentially kills the virus, it's pretty obvious that being outside is a good way to still have mass gatherings during the day. Well, if that's the case, that then raises the question of, are we ready to have 75,000 people back at Lambeau Field? Are we ready to um, plan for opening day next March at Miller Park? Jeff, um, I am a touring musician. Our industry has taken such a huge hit. Boy, isn't that the case, um, that outdoor-style concerts are literally the only way we can survive right now. We played an outdoor show in July in which over 500 people attended, and no one has said anything on our social media about getting sick from going to the performance. If people practice common sense, I think it is perfectly fine. Um, Jeff, I've been going shoulder-to-shoulder, unmasked events. I won't name all year long. They just let people need to live, and if people want to stay home, let them. Nobody is forcing anyone to go out. Um, Jeff, I think it's ultimately up to everyone to make their best informed decision. Look at the Harley event in Oconomowoc. We went, um, we were masked. There was no problem. It was actually very nice to see live music. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure on that that's out there. Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hey, I get between three and five emails a day on COVID from WebMD and Mayo Clinic and Recently, they came out with a report, one of those, that said that um, you could trace uh, increase in COVID to uh, restaurants and bars. But they didn't say much more than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, said, it said that it was oh, patios didn't uh, you know, make a difference. However, uh, anecdotally, two weeks ago, my father-in-law, who's 89 years old, had a memorial for his 92-year-old wife who passed away, not of COVID, and uh, he had it outside in a tent. He had 85 people there uh, with food and drink and music. And the average age of the attendance was 85 years old. Okay. None of those people have come down with anything, COVID or otherwise. What do you attribute that to? So, well, some people were wearing masks, probably about 10 to 15 out of the 85. Everybody was, uh, most people were uh, socially distancing. Right. Um, so I think they were doing everything you're supposed to do, uh, wearing masks, uh, distancing, sitting at picnic tables away, right. apart from each other. Um, right. 
that's all I can say is, you know, they are they were doing the right thing. And I think, as you always say, we have to be smart about it. Right. That's stupid. Well, well, right. I mean, thanks. See, that that's why when I if you're asking me is do, do we need to shut down outdoor gatherings? Can, can you not have an Oktoberfest? My answer would be no. I, I don't think we need to do that. I think you need to. Re- now, again, do, do I think that the Pfizer Forum is ready to open up and put 25,000 people, 20,000 people in to watch a Marquette basketball game or a Bucks game in November? That, that's a different question to me. I, I believe that outside is different than inside, and I think most, even most medical professionals would tell you that that's, that's the case. It's the, you know, it's a recirculated air. If you're out, now again, I, I, I understand if you're shoulder to shoulder and, you know, you're breathing on different people directly in an outdoor setting, it's probably not going to make that much difference. But in general, people spread out at different picnic tables, people scattered around. I think, is it a guarantee that people aren't going to get COVID? Well, of course not. But I, I think it, it's a better alternative. And if we go back to my basic premise about balancing stuff out and trying to figure out how do we live with something versus let's not take unnecessary risks, I... I I, I look at these parties. Do I think, look, I, I wasn't at the beer party in, in Heartland. And again, I, I look at these pictures and I, knowledge, just like that beach party up in Sheboygan, you know, a month or two ago. I look at this and I say, you know, really? You've got a thousand people that are shoulder to shoulder and they're all dancing closely? I mean, give me a break. At the same time, I don't think that means you can't have an Oktoberfest or you can't have a, an outdoor event. But I do think people need to be smarter about that. People need to space out and people need to recognize that, you know, you don't want to be on, on top of each other. That's the way I think we get through it. And by the way, in deference to our last caller, if you are in one of those really vulnerable age groups, you know, where, you know, it's it's a big deal if you're 85 years old and you would happen to get COVID or you've got the underlying health issues, in that particular case, maybe you want to skip, skip Oktoberfest or, or the party this year and, and wait for next year. 855-616-1620, Dan in Madison. Dan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Good. I'm a restaurant owner in Madison, Wisconsin. And what these restaurant owners are doing, in my opinion, you know, since their PPP money is all gone, is they're trying to generate as much revenue as they possibly can to keep the staff, to keep the restaurant, you know, to keep their livelihood. If it means throwing a party outside and having a band and, you know, charging 20 bucks a head, so be it. You know, those folks can decide if they're going to come or not going to come. I have at my restaurant here in Madison, our patio has been busier than ever. Yep. But now with the winter and the fall kind of settling in here now, you know, do I spend that extra money for the heat lamps? I mean, right. is it worth it? So I don't blame them for going to this party and, and throwing it. Not one bit. Uh, you know, what, what it's, it's interesting you should mention that because I was talking to a, a friend who, who runs a restaurant that I patronize. And again, it's, it's, we, we've been eating outside because what they did is they have a little bit of a patio and then they carved off a portion of the parking lot and added like another half dozen tables to give them increased capacity. But I was asking that, I was asking her that same question. I was saying, okay, what are you, what are you going to do in the winter? And she said, well, we haven't decided because the, the truth of the matter is yeah, you can bring in heat lamps, but it's still going to be cold, you know? It's a, you know what exactly. It's still gonna be chilly, right? And so the question becomes, you know, the seats are going to be cold, the tables are going to be cold. Um, you can have the heat lamps, the parking lot, the asphalt is going to be cold. And she was really in the same situation you're in, wrestling with, you know, what 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 do we do? We could spend the money, but is it really worth it? Because will people sit outside? Right. 
You know, I, I've, I've also noticed that the COVID fatigue is really starting to settle in. Yeah. You know, folks are starting to go out. You know, they're sick of staring at each other inside their apartments or homes or whatever. And we're starting to get busier inside, too, which is great. I mean, hopefully it, it, it builds up more and more. I mean, here in Madison, we're at 25 percent capacity. I mean, that is killing a ton of restaurants here, especially the small ones that can only have 12 people in their bar at one time. Right. I mean, their livelihoods are, are disappearing quickly. Can you uh, can you make it on 25 percent capacity? We can because our capacity is 258. Okay, got it. That means we can have 71 people in our building at one time. Got it. But they have to be spread out all over. Right, right. Yeah, I'm sure it's a challenge. I, you know, I mean, I'm looking at these numbers suggesting that, you know, a third to 40% of restaurants might might just not only close but not be able to reopen. And I guess I I believe that. And if we were to talk about another shutdown, my guess is that number would would increase 50, 60, 70% of the restaurants. Oh yeah. Anyway, exactly. I agree. Now, thanks for the call. So Appreciate. I don't blame no. this guy. In, in, thank you. No, no, no. It, well, I mean, and again, it's it, it's it, it's authorized. And again, I don't. I'm not one of these people that that is arguing. I think the government needs to come in and shut down these things. Inside, to me, is different than than outside. But I think people are are ending up making those choices. I think you can gather safely together. Now, when I do see some of these stories and this Facebook stuff, I I find myself wondering, all right, is this the way it was the whole time? Was it a giant mosh pit or was this a picture taken at the very end of the show where they're they're playing their their finale and you finally have people up and sitting and dancing? At the thing I was at, for example, last Thursday night at the the Oktoberfest thing I attended, um, for, for most of the shows, you know, people were, were sitting at the picnic tables, the last big song. People were getting up and they were dancing a little bit. But it, it wasn't it, it wasn't like that sort of mosh pit type of environment. But once again, I think we have to figure out how to end up, you know, how to live with this. And, and people need to be smart about this. But at the same time, I appreciate what Dan's talking about with pandemic fatigue. People are ready I think, to, to go out and take some risks. The question becomes making sure if you are in one of the most vulnerable categories, you don't take unreasonable risks. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. All right. We live in interesting times. I've been doing a radio show in this market full and part time for 25 years. And I will tell you, I don't think there's any time, especially for spoken word radio, when there's been a more interesting time and more stuff going on, whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the social justice movement or all the different the election, of course, all those different things that are going on. At the same time, from a business perspective, kind of a tough time for the radio industry, because what, what's happening is radio industry affected by advertisers and business issues and things like that. And if you look across the country, lots of large radio groups are, are cutting back. Every time I read the trades, I, I see people being laid off, et cetera, et cetera. Not here at Good Karma Brands. It, it's, as my management says frequently, when, when the industry zigs, we, we zag. And it, it's really a very refreshing and an exciting thing. And today is a very exciting day for Good Karma Brands and for, for all of us here because... Well, at a time where lots of people in the industry are cutting back, we're we're creating a new radio station, and we're all very excited about it. We're joined by a number of people responsible for that who are going to be acting um, on that radio station. So let's start off with El Jefe, 
Steve Wexler. <laughs> you know, I haven't yet gotten that on my business card or <laughs> my work email signature. I may do that, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. Appreciate the introduction. It is really amazing to walk in and talk to you in the audience about the launch of a new radio station, yeah. right? Like that. That doesn't happen. Even in good times, it's rare to actually have a new station that you're going to start from scratch. But, you know, you're right. A lot of factors over the last year, six months or so, have led us to think, you know, what do we want to be known for? What is our place in the mar- in the market? And particularly under the ownership that we've had now for, what, a year and a half, locally owned Good Karma Brands, the idea is, you know, we're here. We're not uh, the headquarters is not in some far-flung place. We're not just a number on a spreadsheet. Um, but our products, our assets, the relationships we have with the community, with partners and with fans is just so important to us. And so we've been talking for a while. And in a moment, our CEO and founder, Craig Karmazin, will tell you how this idea was, was born about launching something new. Because the idea is there should be more voices and there should be more dialogue. And that there's a segment of our marketplace that has been underserved by some of that dialogue and some of that uh, discussion. So today we're announcing that there is going to be a new uh, radio station, a new brand in Milwaukee at 101.7 FM. We're calling it The Truth, and we'll tell you the backstory about that name here in a moment as well. And it's going to be a a station, obviously, for anyone, but aimed specifically at our black uh, community and uh, our neighbors who, um, business partners and, and, and neighbors and friends who uh, I, I think for a long time have sort of said, where can I uh, participate mm-hmm. in this conversation uh, as well? And so we're very excited today to announce it. We're going to be doing some recruiting for new positions and beginning a brand new chapter, if you will, in the history of Good Karma Brands. And with that said, our founder, Craig Karmazin, is here, uh, as well as some of the other folks that are going to be joining uh, the new radio station. And uh, Craig, why don't you share with the folks a little bit how where this all began in your head? Well, we were at the... Uh what was it precinct one or uh the uh emergency uh the we were serving meals for first responders uh police officers uh fire department it was coincidentally as a thank you we were doing this uh for all the work that uh essential workers had been doing for all of us during the pandemic and coincidentally three days earlier george floyd had been murdered. And so as we sat there talking to police officers, talking to the fire department, it, there was just a frustration, uh, you know, in myself and everything of just like, what can we do? Like how there, there's so much frustration. There's probably going to be protests and riots and things that are going to come this weekend. This was before any of that happened. And I turned to Wex and just said, shouldn't there be a platform? Shouldn't there be a place for the black community of Milwaukee to be able to express themselves. And if we have Wisconsin's radio station, shouldn't there also be Milwaukee's radio station? Because the makeup of Milwaukee is so different than the makeup of the rest of the state of Wisconsin. So, Craig, one of the questions I'm sure people have is, all right, is this is this truly going to be local? Are we going to have local people that are going to be staffing this, or is this going to be something where we'll reach out for syndicated broadcasting and things of the like? It's a great question, and uh, the only reason I wanted to do this was to make it local, and that's why we have local leadership, and we're going to be hiring you know local teammates, and I think that's what makes this so impactful not just as one radio station, but 
as part of good karma as a whole, right? To add these new teammates to our team to help uh, inform, you know, the WTMJ news team, our ESPN Milwaukee teammates. I think adding local jobs is always a good thing, right? I mean, it's an election year, so we need to add jobs. Um, <laughs> but adding jobs is always great. But also adding diversity to our own team, I know will make all of us better. You know, one of the things I asked Greg early when he started talking to me was, if we're going to do this, we've got to, it's got to be local. We've got to invest. And, you know, having the support of a company that says, you bet, let's do that. And so um, I began the journey of finding a general manager for this particular station so that we could have uh, diverse leadership for, for the new station. And that led me to find uh, Cherie Harris. Uh, Cherie is a, a market veteran in radio, in sales, in management, in, what am I missing, pharmaceutical sales, <laughs> TV, uh, television uh, as well. And we're announcing today that Cherie is going to be our general manager for 101.7 The Truth. Kyle Wallace, who actually worked for our company in a part-time capacity, is our operations manager. And Cherie, why don't you just talk to Jeff and the audience a little bit about how you began this journey with us? Well, it all started with an email from Wex. And we he reached out to a colleague and was just looking for leadership to start this brand. And so after doing some soul searching and having in-depth conversations at home, as well as talking with Wex and Craig, I realized this is something that we need to have. And it was not a knee-jerk response to what's going on in the community, it was much bigger than that. And having those conversations, we realized it's going to be a story, our station, about our story, our truth from our perspective. It's going to be raw. It's going to be honest, but we're going to have fun with it. We're going to talk about events. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about health, and um, we're going to talk about housing, all of the above. So 101.7 The Truth is exactly what it is. It's going to be the truth about Milwaukee's black community. And so we also uh, were fortunate enough to uh, recruit Kyle Wallace, who actually, interestingly, had been in recruitment over at Marquette University and working part-time here at Good Karma Brands. Kyle? Yeah, no, I'm happy to be part of this special, special project. And like Craig was saying before, the impact that it's going to have on the community, very excited about that. So um, when Craig approached me with this idea, it originally was just having a conversation, talking about everything going on, um, but then it kind of grew into... Uh, 101.7 and me potentially being this operations manager and being the position I am today and I just think this is a special time in America right now where there really is an open-mindedness there really is a movement for people to have this thirst for wanting to understand everyone you know wanting both sides of uh, whether you're from Milwaukee whether you're from sub suburbs whether you're from a rural, rural area coming together and really kind of figuring out who we are and understanding each other so having this station launched during a time like this is very very special and I just can't wait to see exactly what's going to come so how do you build a station from from the ground up i mean i i know people listen to me and they think this is really easy anybody could do it well <laughs> is that true by the way well I, I i always say that anybody who's articulate has a great hour or two of talk radio in them but then then there's the two o'clock hour right. then there's tuesday and then there's, tuesday, then there's wednesday, then there's wednesday. And, and so it, it is a little bit of a challenge but but i, I know it's an exciting thing so wh where do you turn how do you build the station from the ground up interestingly the first thing we had to do is get a signal we had to have like a place to put all of this great content and so we found a terrific fm frequency at 101.7 then we turned to sheree and kyle and say well, what do we do? How do we build it? Well, how we build it is we reach out to our community leaders and get their perspective on what's really going on and understand where where their emotions are coming from and then reach out to potential on-air hosts just to get an idea how they're going to present that emotion on the radio station. And Kyle has been doing a lot of research and had a lot of conversations, and he could touch more on that, too. Yeah, no, excited to continue those conversations. Uh, 
if anyone does have interest in any of these roles that we have, we are mm-hmm. recruiting here. Like mm-hmm. uh, Wex said, I was a recruiter. I loved it, so I'm happy to continue that role here. Uh, goodcomerbrands.com slash careers. Uh, but, yeah, no, we're really looking for people who want to speak on what's happening in the community, educate people on what's happening in the community, but then more importantly, highlight the community. There's been a push for black-owned businesses highlighting those, so that would be a great opportunity for us as a company not only to diversify when it comes to employment, but also diversify to who we have, you know, uh, doing, uh, you know, we're promoting here on air here at, um, for Good Karma Brands and at 101.7 The Truth. So it really is an exciting time for us to figure out who we're going to have on, but we're really going to focus on the local talent who have roots in Milwaukee and can really speak on kind of the lifestyle and kind of the experience of, of people from Milwaukee. Wisconsin. Well, I, I'm a huge fan of, of local radio, and it's just I think that's what distinguishes it. And this is such a vibrant market, and it's been a vibrant market for such a long time. And I think it's a great addition. When 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 is the launch? When what's what are you looking at? I don't know, Sharia, Kyle, are we? Uh... I think we're ready, but <laughs> this afternoon, Jeff, this afternoon uh, Jeff if you could speak to the truth of Milwaukee's black community, I think we might be ready yeah, by go. next week. Yeah. A guest spot, right? absolutely. But we're looking to launch a fall of 2020 this year for sure. So that's um, so. Like we said, please go to the website and submit your interest, and um, we're ready to go. You know, a lot of exciting things. We really want to get it right. Right. You know, we want to make sure that we find diverse voices within the community to represent uh, uh, the the truth as the black community sees it. And so um, we I don't want to say we've taken our time, but we've been very careful to make sure that we you know, do things in order so that we get it right, because we want this to be something that uh, everybody can be proud of, not just the black community, but all of us can feel a real sense of pride that we have our fingerprints on. Craig, doubling, doubling back on something we were talking about earlier, in, in the industry right now, people are cutting back. That That's just kind of the trend. Do you... When, when your, your fellow owners and founders look at what you're doing, which is kind of going in the opposite direction, do they think that, that Craig Karma's a guy? He's nuts. Well, they've all sold their stations. They don't, they're not in this industry anymore, right? So it's all big corporations. And we're just really fortunate that we're privately owned. We have great local investors, and we've been able to stay privately owned. So we can make a decision like this that Wall Street may say, hey, your next quarter is not going to look good on this station. You're going to be investing dollars and not have dollars coming in right away. We don't have those kinds of pressures, so we can really look at the long haul. And I think when you're in an industry that faces pressure, being able to take a longer-term view has always served us really well. Right. It, 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 it's just it's fascinating, and I hope people understand the significance of a decision like this. So once again, um, Kyle, if people are interested in participating and would, would like to send an audition tape or find out more about opportunities, how do they do that? So you can go online. If you go online, if you go to goodcomerbrands.com backslash careers, uh, that's where you can kind of just find more information about applying. We have our email address up there as well. Well, and Sherry, Sherry, we've always had at TMJ a very diverse audience, so it's it's always it's interesting to hear the different voices. But I think it's so exciting to have a a targeted station that will address the the needs, concerns, and interests of of a particular you know subset of our overall audience. It's got to be exciting. It's very exciting, and I just want people to understand it's it's a safe place to have those conversations. It's going to be a safe place to have challenging conversations, entertaining conversations, and raw, honest conversations. So we just want to make sure that people understand that. So it's going to be for open-minded, open perspectives, but focusing on Milwaukee's black community. So stay tuned. More details coming. Absolutely, so, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Mr. Rexler, to, uh, Mr. Karmazin, Sherry, Kyle, thanks. Sharif, Thank Kyle, you. thanks so much for being here. And we'll, we'll look forward to keeping people updated as we get closer to the ultimate launch date. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Two candidates, one moderator, and the American people. Please join Scott Warris and WTMJ this evening for one of the great civic moments in the American experience, the presidential debate. It's President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden on the same stage live from Cleveland. We'll have full pre- and post-debate coverage where we'll talk to experts and take your calls. President Trump, Joe Biden in the first presidential debate live on News Radio 620 WTMJ. That is this evening. Okay, so I said at the start of the show, this is my anniversary. So I said to my lovely wife, I said, what do you want to do? You want to go out to dinner tonight? You know, what, what, what do you want to do? Your, your call. And she said, well, you know what I really want to do? I want to watch the debate. <laughs> I said, really? She said, so how about, how about I make dinner for us? We'll, we'll make, you tell me what you want for dinner. I will make dinner and then we will watch the debate together. And I said, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Let me say, you're, you're making dinner. You're making the dinner of my choice, and we're going to watch the debate together. Okay, works out just great. But she, I, I do think it's going to be interesting. I, I've acknowledged this before, and maybe I'm, I just get a little bit sort of jaundiced because I, I've been watching these for so many years. The, the primary debates where you have – you know, 15 candidates on the stage and everybody has two or three minutes. I, those, those to me are kind of a turnoff. I, I don't think they accomplish very much. I don't think you can get an idea as to who really the candidates are because everybody's struggling trying to come up with that, that sound bite that's going to distinguish them from everybody else. This evening, it, it's different. You know, you, you have the, this one-on-one sort of thing and then you have the dynamics that they're out there. I, I understand some people don't want to hear this, but I, I think it's pretty clear right now that, that President Trump is behind in this race. And again, I understand some people say, don't tell me about the polls. I don't want to listen to this. But I, I think that's th- this is different than 2016. And I, I think President Trump and the Trump campaign team kn- knows that they're he, he's need to, he needs to come up with some sort of, of game changer that's maybe going to change the dynamics of this. From the perspective of people who might be out there that are persuadable, one of the questions about former Vice President Biden is, is he up for, for the job? I mean, it's, so far, a lot of the campaign has been extremely scripted. Um, you, you haven't you haven't seen Joe Biden in these public sort of settings as a general rule. When he's gone out and done interviews, they, they have been very, very loaded with softball questions, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is going to be the, the chance, I think, for those people who might be persuadable. By that, I mean people who really could go one way or the other to sit and look at this and decide, OK, are our are there reasons to be concerned about Joe Biden? Um, is he too old for the job? Has he lost his fastball? All those sort of things. And I think this is a chance to see how he stands up and stacks up during the course of the discussion. In any event, I, I think tonight is going to be really, really interesting. The first debates are always the ones that are the most watched because people get a, a general impression and a sense of the candidates. So it, it's going to be big and we're going to be watching it and you can hear it here on WTMJ as well. Then tune in for for Scott Warris, and Scott does a great job pre-debate and then post-debate coverage as well. This is Jeff Wagner, back with more in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk 
and text line. All right, as we were talking about earlier, tonight is the first of the three presidential debates. Typically, the first debate is the one that is the most watched because of the nature of the campaigns this year. That is, uh, it hasn't been the typical sort of campaign where you, you have the, the candidates that are out in a regular basis, you know, meeting with the, the public and, and a number of different events. I understand there's been a couple events, but nothing like there, there typically is. Uh, this this is the first opportunity I think that the public's going to have to see the candidates in person live on a stage together. Now, there's not going to be an audience, so it's going to be different from that, but there's going to be a lot of people that are watching. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question for you. What are you going to be looking for? What in particular, if you're going to be listening to the debate tonight or you're going to be watching the debate, what what in general are you looking for? Like I said, to me, because Joe Biden has been, well, it's been sort of a basement campaign, and I'm not faulting him for that. As a matter of fact, if you believe the polls, that that's the campaign that's working. A lot of the stuff has been extremely scripted. His public appearances, including his like CNN town halls or whatever, have been nothing but but like one softball after another. So this is. I think for me, it's a chance to see, all right, is, is Biden up to this? I mean, is, have the years taken a, a toll on him? Very, very difficult to be the leader of the free world. You know, what, how, how is he going to stand up to what I perceive is going to be a, an onslaught and an attack from President Trump, who I, I think believes that, that he is behind. I think his people believe that he is behind and that he needs to come up with some kind of, of game changer. So I'm going to be curious to see. I, I assume that President Trump is going to be on, on the offensive tonight, and it's going to be interesting to see how Joe Biden responds to that. That's one of the things that I'm going to be looking at. Secondly, I'm going to be interested to see how President Trump responds to the, the challenges that you know he, he's going to get. First of all, you've got the whole COVID issue. I firmly believe that if it were not for COVID, I I think President Trump would be in a very, very strong position to be reelected. I I believe that. But COVID-19, the pandemic has changed all that. It's turned everything upside down. So I, I think, you know, he's obviously going to be attacked on that. And then you're going to have some of these collateral issues that are out there, the revelations this week about the $750 in income taxes that he's paid over the last couple of years, which apparently, while legal, um, still, for most of us, you sit there and say, how could you have all this and only pay 750 bucks?" So I'm going to be watching to see how President is President Trump able to go on the offensive? How is he going to respond when he's challenged on some of these issues? And how's Joe Biden going to do? What 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 position is he going to take? Is he going to be the Joe Biden that showed up at, for example, the vice presidential debates a number of years ago, where I thought he did a very, very good job? Or will age have taken its toll? That That's as blunt as I can say it, but I'm curious about that. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Helen in Glendale. Helen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, uh, Jeff. I listen to you very often. Here's my question. Um, Pretty much what you just said. I'm a lifelong Democrat, and I was prepared to vote for Joe Biden, but I've been concerned about a couple things. One, he hasn't been traveling as much as uh, the president, and I'm curious about why that is. 
and I'm glad to see him always wearing a mask when he out when he's out. I think that's that's a good example. But then my other question is is how well does he do when he's challenged? Yeah. I'd like to see because because Trump is going to be coming at him from any every possible direction. Yeah. So I'm concerned about how he does in, under those circumstances. No, no, thank, I think I think I think that's I, I think that's a fair question. Now, the the interesting thing about this, Helen, too, is that see there there are I think most people have made up their minds. I I, I really do. I'm not sure what percentage of voters, people who are actually going to go out and vote, I'm not sure what percentage of people are persuadable. My sense is it's probably as low a percentage this year as in any presidential election in in history. I think people have by and large made up their minds. President Trump is this larger than life figure that, that everybody has an opinion on. And I mean, I see a number of texts from people say, well, you don't care about how these debates goes. It doesn't matter, you know, what Biden does. You know, we think Donald Trump is the Antichrist and we're voting against him. Or the, the flip side, it doesn't matter what Trump does. We don't care about anything, these things. You know, he's our guy and we're going to run through a brick wall to vote for him. But there is a, a segment of the electorate that I would describe as, as persuadable. They're going to be the ones that are, are looking at this and this is their opportunity to, to see them. Um, in, in some some respects, and somebody sent me kind of this nasty text about this, but I, I, I don't think what I said earlier was controversial. I, I think that in some respects, many Democrats have been playing down Joe Biden's ability as a as a debater to try to minimize expectations. Because let's keep in mind, at the end of the day, it's all an ex, it's all about expectations. Did you? Did you perform as well as people thought you were going to perform? It's not necessarily like I say, who won? 855-616-1620. What are you going to be looking for? Dana in Sheboygan. Dana, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Thanks Dana. for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Um, I just think that Trump is a bully. And we, we've seen that in debates in 2016. So I think he's going to um, bully Biden and probably attack his son hunter about the corruption right that he believes went on and i watched 60 minutes last night and there was a good piece about the wall and right. there's a lot of corruption because trump was pressuring everyone he didn't want anyone but this one person in north dakota his company to get the contract and when you looked at the wall it was just a one-mile piece, a three-mile piece, not connected. It was failing, and all this money is going towards that, and he's still pushing towards building this. So, so Dana, fence. my sense is, just listening to you, just us talking for the last you know, minute or so, it doesn't matter what happens at the debate tonight. You're, you're locked in. You're, you're voting for Joe Biden regardless. Yeah, yeah. I am. But I am also an independent, and there are a lot of independents out there, Jeff, and I would hope that they would really look at what's going on and what has been going on and vote on that rather than a party. Good enough. Well, thank, thanks for calling in. Again, I, and like I say, I, I think 
Lots of people are locked in. I, I do. I, I'm not sure how much of the voting public is real that that's actually going to vote. You know, because candidly, you know, you have people who say, "Well, I'm undecided now." I always wonder of the people who are undecided at this point in time, how many are actually going to go out and vote? You know, if you haven't made up your mind by now, what what are you really waiting to see? And one of the last game changers might be in in this debate. Like I say, if there's people who are leaning towards voting for Joe Biden because of whatever reasons they're leaning towards voting for Biden. But if for some reason something happens tonight, and I'm not predicting it will. I actually, I think my sense is I think Joe Biden is going to meet and perhaps exceed expectations. And I, that's just that is just my sense. You know, we'll have an opportunity to talk about it tomorrow. But this is one of those things for for people who are saying, OK, well, you know, is Biden up for it? Well, okay, if he just falls completely flat on his face tonight. And again, I'm not predicting that to happen. Maybe that's something that would change the, um, maybe that's something that will, will, will change the dynamic. Well, here's a couple texts. Jeff, what I'm looking for is whether or not Biden can handle himself. If he can't handle Trump, how will he handle other foreign leaders? Um, Let's see, uh, Jeff, the, the sad thing is the Democrats are putting Biden out. They're knowing that he's not with it and he's going to be, you know, cruci- I think he's going to be crucified in the debate. That's why I'm watching. I, I, I think you might be disappointed in that. I mean, I, is Joe Biden, is Joe Biden at 77 or 78 is the same Joe Biden he was at 58? No. But in fairness, this is a guy that has a wealth of experience. He, he knows he's been in big debate situations before and, you know, he, he knows his stuff. You might disagree with him or not, but I, I think for people who think that Joe Biden is just going to fold up like a cheap accordion, you might be disappointed. Um, Jeff, I am a bit worried about what we will see. I want a debate over stark policy differences with both men giving a decent account of themselves. I don't want to see a train wreck. Huh. That, that's interesting. Um, Jeff, I honestly haven't made up my mind. It's either not to vote at all or to vote for um, Trump. Jeff, I'll be looking to see who looks more presidential and who can answer the questions with substance. Most likely, I'll be looking for another beer after 20 minutes of watching the debate. Well, there there is an element of you know that that, that's out there as well jeff i want to hear the republicans plan for health care what are they going to replace the affordable care with do they actually have a plan well i I, these debates by the way and and the format and the limited time periods they're not they're not conducive and they're not designed to giving out to coming up with extensive policy points and things like that it it always degenerates into a back and a forth and who said this and he said this and she said this i mean to me i think what you're going to be looking at tonight is biden will be on the offensive with regard to attacking trump about the response to covid 19 um there'll be some tax issues and uh you know I think President Trump is just generally going to be on the attack. It's kind of funny to look at the um, Las Vegas has all these things called proposition bets that are out there. These are like for the Super Bowl. You you can bet on who's going to win the game and what the point spread is going to be. But prop bets are, okay, who's what team's going to kick the first field goal or or who's going to have the first points or, you know, the first pass. Who's going to catch the first pass? Those sort of things. There's all these prop bets in Las Vegas, things like, will Joe Biden wear a mask out on the stage? Will Donald Trump use the phrase sleepy Joe? I mean, it's all these different kind of things that are out there. Uh, 
It, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, and uh, we're going to be watching tonight. You can watch it on TV. You can listen here on WTMJ as well. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, if you're a Trump hater, I've got a show for you. The last two nights, Showtime ran a a, a mini series, just a two part mini series called The Comey Rules, which is based on the book by the former FBI director, James Comey. And it's uh, he, he was, of course, the guy who, who was he ended up getting fired by by Trump. What, what happened is he was the one that during the election ended up uh, as the, the FBI was investigating Hillary Clinton's email server. And he made the politically tone deaf and probably legally incorrect decision to when they had decided that there weren't a basis to, there was not a basis to issue criminal charges he came out and gave this lengthy explanation about this is what we found etc cetera, etc cetera, and, and this is why we've decided not to charge her that created a whole bunch of controversy and it was something that the FBI d- just doesn't do they don't it what I learned when I was a federal prosecutor is the federal government you you speak through the grand jury and that is you 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 know, if you believe somebody's committed a crime, you come out, you you have them indicted, and then you have those charges that are out there. What Comey did is he decided to have this like lengthy conversation explaining what he thought Hillary had done, why he thought it was bad, but then it wasn't going to result in charges, and that pleased absolutely nobody. Then, so he said, okay, we're not investigating. Then, two weeks before the election, they find all these other emails that are on this, like, different computer, and then they say, well, we are going to investigate. We're going to reopen the investigation, and then they clear Hillary again two days before the election. It was just, it was a mess, and it put him in the political crosshairs, and he and Trump didn't get along. My friends, I have a number of friends who work for the FBI, and I don't know Jim Comey. I never met him, but I, I think people liked him, but they thought he was kind of a publicity hound. That was sort of it. But in any event, this this is based on his book. It is extremely sympathetic to him and sort of paints him as this the kind of a saint who just got caught up in and, and maybe just didn't understand the political ramifications of what was going on. But in, in the second part, the one that aired last night, they, they've got uh, the Donald Trump character that comes in. And and I will tell you that uh, the guy who plays Trump, it, he, Trump is played like a complete monster. It's just it, from from heavy breathing to to whatever. It, it's one of these things where you go, man, they, they've really taken the president. Maybe it's accurate, but they've really reduced him to kind of a caricature. So if you haven't seen this and you're somebody who doesn't like the president, watch it because this this will feed into everything that you think is the case. Again, it might be true, it might be false. It's just. It's there. I wanted to amplify on on one thing we talked about yesterday. I mean, yesterday we spent some time discussing the the, the New York Times story. They have gotten a hold of 18 years of the president's tax returns. He's been fighting this for years. And as we discuss, part of it, what bothers me, I mean, I, I think President Trump should have disclosed the stuff up front. It does bother me under the law that somebody can commit a crime. For example, if it's a, if it's a federal employee that had access to these tax returns and, and then gave them to the press, that, that's a, that's a crime. That is a felony. It is possible that if this was accountants or law firms or somebody else that had them, it's possible that giving that information to the New York Times was a crime. It's certainly a huge ethical violation. And I guess it does bother me in some respects that the, the, the law is such that all right, a reporter from the New York Times, you can get it, 
you can get the stuff that's been obtained illegally, but you, you just run with it because it doesn't make any difference as, as long as you didn't obtain it illegally yourself. There's just something that kind of fundamentally bothers me about that. On top of that, if you look at the information contained in the tax returns, I'm not sure what the there is. I mean, President Trump has paid very little in federal income tax, but the reason he hasn't done that is he's had enormous losses. And, you know, he claims a loss. They think it's like $700 million on on the casinos when they ended up going belly up. There is an issue as to whether or not this deduction was legitimate. That will end up probably in tax court, my guess is, sometime sooner rather than later. And it might be that Trump ends up owing $75, $100 million back to the IRS. IRS. I, I, I don't know, but I guess the thing that he only paid seven hundred fifty dollars, and, and fortunately, unfortunately, that's the way it works with deductions and people that have just a, a lot of money. So I'm not sure what the there there is. There is an editorial though in the Wall Street Journal that I agree with today, and it essentially says that even though there's not that much there there, this is another example of of President Trump's kind of political tone deafness because he he had to know at some point in time that somebody was going to get a hold of his tax returns, was going to leak them to the press, and they would run it at the worst possible time for, for him, in this case, like six weeks before the election. And the point of the Wall Street Journal article is, you know, if maybe if he had released them himself, he could have controlled the timing. He could have figured out the spin as opposed to being in a reactive way because the, the truth is the, these these were going to come out at some point in time, and you knew his enemies and the people who don't like him in the mainstream media were going to run this at the least opportune chance, that the time that they think they could do the most damage to him, and in this case it was a couple of days before the first presidential debate, he could have perhaps controlled the narrative by releasing these earlier. All right, got a lot coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. News Radio 620 WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, so a week or two ago, we talked about that situation in Ozaki County where the parents, knowing that their kid had tested positive for COVID-19, sent their kid to school. And... My general take on that was channeling the the, the phrase made popular by uh, the comedian Ron White was you can't fix stupid. And, and I, I'm sorry, I, I just I continue to believe that if, if you've got a kid that is sick, um, either because they've tested positive for cocaine or for cocaine for, for cocaine for COVID nineteen or they're running a fever, they're hacking up a lung, and you send them to school, that's stupid and it is irresponsible. Now, that was my basic premise, and I heard from at least a handful of people who said I was being way too hard on the parents. Oh, that no, you 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 just don't. Okay, so the kids running a fever of 101, and so the kids cough, and you know, it's you know they 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 didn't know for sure that he had COVID. Well, then another situation they they did know it was positive, and they just decided to send the kid anyways. All right, there's been a similar story to that that's in the news today. It involves a Kiwaskum youth football coach. Now these are these are fifth through eighth graders, and there was a, a scrimmage over the weekend between teams from Kewaskum and and Hartford. All right, the Kewaskum youth coach had COVID symptoms. 
All right. Enough COVID symptoms. I don't know if the guy was running a fever. I don't know if he had a cough. I don't know what the symptoms were, but the symptoms were severe enough that he went in to get himself tested for COVID. So this isn't one of these asymptomatic things or, gee, you know, I had a little bit of a backache or I had some sniffles. It was whatever it was, was enough to cause him to go in and get tested because he was afraid that he had COVID-19. All right. So knowing that that he has at least symptoms of this sufficient to cause him to go get tested, he decides, oh, there's this scrimmage. So I'm going to go anyways. And I'm going to interact with all these these kids. So he he goes, you know, he goes to the scrimmage. He's at the scrimmage when he gets a phone call from the Washington Ozaki Health Department in the in the middle of the scrimmage that says, um, "Okay, you, you know that those tests you took, well, it's come back positive." Okay, you've now tested positive for COVID-19. So then shortly after he learns he, he's tested positive, uh, the coaches learn another coach was infected. Then this guy says, um, okay, oh, cough, cough, cough. Uh, I, I just got this call, and, and it's turned out that I have tested positive as well. And then they apparently like send him home and, I, I believe, fire him for, for showing up. All right, so I'm, I'm talking about this with somebody today. And I, I'm mindful that some of you were a little hard on me thinking I was too tough on the parents that sent the kid to, to school after he had tested positive for COVID. In this particular case, and let's try to look at it in the light most favorable to the coach. He hadn't tested positive yet. He did not know the results, but he had sufficient symptoms that had caused him to go in and get tested. So you've got this kind of red flag that's out there. And then he went to the youth football game anyways. I I go back to this basic premise. You cannot fix stupid. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there any excuse in the world for doing this, for obviously having some health concerns, getting yourself tested, and then going out in public and exposing yourself to a large group of people, including some kids and fellow adults, while you are waiting for the COVID test results. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry. I, I think this is absolutely and totally, completely inexcusable. And whether it's stupid or a reckless disregard, this is a guy who should lose his job. There's no question about it. I think I assume he's a volunteer, but yes, he, he should have been fired. But the conduct is so incredibly reckless. You you almost wish that there was something, at least in my opinion, you could do more than simply firing him. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Is there any justification for this? And and I'll I'll, I'll just tell you personally. I've had. Over the course of the last couple months, I, I do know people, acquaintances of mine, friends of mine, who have tested positive for, for COVID. I also know other people who have not tested positive, 
but have been concerned because they were exposed to somebody who had COVID or maybe they they had a respiratory thing or something. And, and what they've done is they have, they voluntarily, they self-quarantined themselves until they got the results back. And in many cases, those results came back negative that they didn't have it, which was great. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there any excuse for going out in public while you're awaiting the test results from a COVID test? And my answer would be no. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry. Occasionally, th- these things just make my head e- explode. And this is from the perspective of somebody who, who's tried to have a balanced approach during the, this pandemic, and believes and continues to believe that if people did not do stupid things, we would not be in some of the situations that that we're in. And that's why I'm, I was an opponent of like the mandate that the whole lockdown that kind of devastated the economy and things like that. And and I think that that's not that to me is not reasonable moving forward. We're not going to be able to lock down the state again. But part of the thing is people need to be smart. Now, th- there's some things that are beyond people's control. I, I understand that you have somebody who is asymptomatic, has no symptoms at all, feels absolutely fine and goes out in public. And then all of a sudden they, they, they're exposed to they expose themselves to all sorts of other people. And it turns out they've tested positive, but they really didn't know they were sick. I, I, I understand that that's one of the things that happens with COVID-19 and the spread. What I do not understand for the life of me, though, is people who either know or have a reasonably good basis for believing that they might have COVID, who nevertheless continue to go out. And that's precisely what happened to this assistant football coach, you know, out in, in Waukesha, out in Washington County, you know, last weekend. You have somebody who has enough symptoms that tells him that, that he wanted to go in and get the COVID test, all right? And so while he's waiting for the COVID test, instead of simply saying, okay, cough, cough, hack, hack, I'm, I'm going to stay home until I find out one way or the other, is this just allergies, is this just uh, you know a fall cold, or is it something that's more spreadable? He decides, oh, I'm going to go to the game, and I'm going to interact with these kids, and I'm going to interact with other adults. If, if I were... If I were the families, I would be irate. If I were the other coaches, I would be irate. And again, you just flat out can't fix stupid. Jeff, if you have a symptom, it's better to stay home. It's just that simple. If it doesn't clear up in 72 hours, you better get tested and wait for the results at home. Um, yeah, at home home. Marcia says, Jeff, absolutely the most stupid, inconsiderate thing anybody could do. You're potentially exposing everyone you come in contact with. Um, for God's sake, use common sense. Um, yeah, I think there's an element on that as well. Jeff, I have no sympathy for anybody that would send their kids to school knowing or go to work knowing or go to a public place. They are part of the problem. Jeff, if anybody dies from this guy's actions, he should should be sued. Well, I'm not, you know, that's a tougher sort of situation. But, you know, the bottom line is 
It's an issue. Okay, Jeff, did the coach wear a mask? If so, everyone should be fine because we are told that masks protect others. Well, nobody says that the masks are absolute. And, and I don't think, I don't think even the biggest proponents of masks would say, if you, if you're positive for COVID-19, go out anywhere you want with a, a mask. No. Jeff, I just went through this. My husband and I were both exposed by somebody that went out without being tested. I got it, but he didn't. But he still had uh, to quarantine for 14 days, and I spent 10 days in our bedroom by myself to not give it to him. There is not a chance we would have gone out and chance giving this to somebody else. My mom is going through chemo, and my sister is pregnant. People like my mom and sister are way more important than us than going to the grocery store or picking up dinner. I know a lot of people have said it's stupidity. I think it's pure selfishness. Please note that we are not not worry warts, and we went about our lives as much as we could. We'll do the same now that we have recovered from COVID. Well, yeah, I think there's an element to that. Um, Jeff, the reason the CDC says that if you have a false test, you can't go back to work for 10 days is because it could be a false negative. Right, that... That's the whole bottom line of this. Jeff, could he be charged with child endangerment? I think that's probably an unlikely thing. And I guess I don't know that the criminal justice system needs to get involved in this stuff. But but really, this is one of these examples where maybe you need some degree of public shaming to, to kick in because we're not going to get through this. We're not going to get through this without significant complications if people don't get smarter and the, the one of the one of the easy examples again I don't want to have the mask debate and that sort of thing but one thing I would think that we could all agree on is if you've got symptoms of covid or you've tested positive for covid stay the hell away from everybody else that's not too much to ask for get over it and then go back out period Otherwise, you just can't fix stupid.